0: Yeah, I think I think you have to be relatable and you have to establish trust, but I also think that you have to measure against yourself. Like when you're when you're measuring success, like what I didn't get caught up in was in the first year, first two years looking at other people and saying, "Wow, look how much better they're doing than me." Because everybody goes at a different speed, right? So you've got to you've got to look yourself in the mirror and say, "Did I do my best today and am I getting better than I was yesterday?" And if you can do that in anything and you don't give up, you're gonna make it. You're not gonna. You're not gonna fail out. But I know a lot of people that had that kind of success failure where they they got in and they you know had I'd say quick success, but as soon as it ran out, they didn't have the ability to to push through that, and that's when they would quit. So I think it's important to to to, to have that tenacity and that drive. Welcome
1: to Winning Strategies Playbook the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook. For more information on this show, you can go to our website, myexperiencedrealtor.com. My experienced realtor.com with an ED for my fellow Marines out there, where we're always having challenges spelling things. And if you're looking to buy and sell real estate anywhere on the planet, click find a trusted professional. We'll get you hooked into somebody that will help you out no matter where you are on the planet. But we're not here to talk about real estate today. You want to click on that podcast button, scroll down to this episode and other episodes, download from all the different
0: platforms. Zach, Nanini, how are you doing today, sir? You know, it's a fabulous day today. I'm excited to be here from St. Louis. Flew in and enjoying the, the weather in, here in Fort Worth, so it's a good day.
1: Man, we're becoming big time when people are flying in to be on the show.
0: Yeah, I was I was excited. <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you when you asked me to come down, I said I'd love to make a trip. I've listened to the show, and it's been fantastic and taken a lot of good points from it, and glad to be here. So
1: for the audience, Zach and I have some – mute today is actually the first time we physically met.
0: Hundred percent. We've
1: talked several times, but we have we we swim in the same networks. Previous guest was episode number two, Vincent Hancock, now three time gold medalist, uh, in uh, shooting skeet in the Olympics.
0: Yeah, yeah. Vinny's uh, international skeet shooter, the best in the world. I I know Vinny lightly, but his father Craig Hancock was my coach, so I went to Linwood University and shot with him, and he worked on a lot of shotgun training techniques and mental techniques, and just he's he's the man. So.
1: Oh, yeah. And Travis Mears, right? Yeah. He's a world-renowned trick shot with shotguns and out there the president of Defender Outdoors, uh, Defender uh, Outdoors Sporting Clay Ranch. And But we're going to dive into that. I have to start every one of these off with the jokes. My father-in-law says I have to, and I intentionally do bad jokes. Are you ready, Zach? I'm ready. Okay. I used to hate facial hair. Then it grew on me yeah that's a, that's a
0: classic bad dad joke.
1: oh, yeah, that, no, there's nothing good about any of the jokes that I have, right? And so you're you're from St. Louis, born and raised St. Louis?
0: No, um actually, I was born and raised in San Jose California,
1: okay. and then so what what
0: what takes you from beautiful California to St. Louis? Yeah, so, uh, it was shotgun shooting. I was twelve years old when I got into shooting clay pigeons. My mom and my dad wanted to teach me some gun safety stuff, and so I started you know with the range with with dad and you know mom was really you know supportive of that and picked it up and started shooting pretty good you know within a couple of years i was one of the better sub juniors in the area which is just like an under 15 year old and from there shot and worked for my dad's company and then got a call when I was 19 from Lindenwood University, which is in St. Charles, Missouri, and they wanted to recruit me on a full-ride scholarship to be a part of their shooting team. So at the time, they were a seven-time national champion uh, consecutive shooting team, clay pigeon team, and that's the same team where I met Travis. So Travis was on that team. He was the man. He was a little bit older of a generation than I was, so he was like three, four, five, six, seven, and then I was like 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, on the consecutive. But Lennonwood actually just lost their streak, but they had 15 consecutive championships in a row before they were finally beaten.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that was the uh, the World Series of places to be,
0: huh? Yeah, I mean, in the collegiate realm of shotgun sports, it was the World Series. I mean, the greatest place. I mean, we had a hundred guys on the team, hundred guys and gals, I should say. Most of the gals can kick the guys' butts, so um, it's uh, it's a fun place to to sharpen your 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 craft.
1: And, and, and you happen to pick a sport that's very inexpensive, doesn't cost very much money,
0: right? <laughs> oh, yeah, real inexpensive. I mean. <laughs> right now, uh, shows are going for like 10 bucks a box if you could find them. And, uh, you know, in a day, I'm going to shoot 12 or 15 boxes like it's nothing. So it's, it's crazy. And it's hard for a lot of young people to get into it because it, it does require a lot of capital.
1: And it's, it's also, if I remember Vincent saying, is it, it's also one of the fastest growing sports out there,
0: right? It is. It is. The data shows that it's the fastest high school sport growing in the country right now because – the girls can do it with the boys, and they can beat the boys' butts on a regular basis, and I think it's family-friendly. You know, the, the parents can come out and watch and have barbecues, and, and if you go to a gun clubs in America, they're some of the safest, uh, nicest places with great people. You can leave a $25,000 gun on the gun rack, go to lunch, and come back, and it's going to be there. I mean, nobody's going to take anything from you at a gun club, so they're really, really good people, salt of the earth.
1: Yeah, cuz it's not guns that kill people or hurt people, it's the people behind them. Of course. Right? Yeah,
0: and 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 we're we're really into the, you know, the competitive shooting side where we're not even, you know, tactically training. It's just, you know, we're not like the military where they're they they know and that's an awesome thing, but um, for us we're just trying to kill clay birds, so right. <laughs> pretty harmless. Yeah.
1: And y'all are pretty rigid about your routines and practicality and everything. I mean, if there's anything that I've noticed is I, I I'm merely a hobbyist not not good at it at all when i need to be good because i go shoot in a tournament or something for like charity i'll I'll call like vincent and be like hey i need you to come be my ringer (laughs) (laughs) we get about halfway through people are like hey that guy's really good and i was like well he's kind of the best on the planet
0: right (laughs) i mean you could honestly say he's the best on the planet and and that's not even being braggadocious i think uh, as far as rigidity, yes, we're consistently training all the time. If you have a goal and you want to work on it, you've got to get a plan in place and then you got to start taking it bite by bite and being consistent with it. And, and when
1: parents get into it, they get into it. So a very good friend of mine, Chad Mills, also been on the show. His son got into it. And I mean, man, he's. He's bought all the bells and bells and whistles that come into it, you know, with the four seater razor or whatever. Yeah. And I mean, man, he's you know he's he's pimped my ride. You know, he's just got everything. Where I'm like, you know, you can just walk, stand to stand. He's like, yeah, but I look really cool driving my kid around in this thing.
0: <laughs> it's amazing how much money people can spend on this sport once they get it between the the buggies and the, <laughs> the guns and the shells and the custom yeti cups and all that stuff. But yeah, no, it's 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 a hoot for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean a good a good over and under. What is a, I mean, like one is very dependable that you, you go and you're like, hey, I'm not having it custom made, but I want to buy a good over and under. What is
0: something yeah, like that? Yeah, I think, I think if you're like talking entry level for like the kids out there, yeah. getting, I mean, I think a, a Browning Satori over under is fantastic. Or like How much a, is something a, like that? Around? You know, brand new, probably around $2,000. I mean, that's a great, great. Entry level gun, um, a Beretta, you know, 682 or something like that would be fantastic too. There, you'd have to find that one used because I don't think they're making 682s anymore. Um, I shoot a Kregoff, which is from Germany. Um, and those are entry level at about, Eighteen thousand. So there's a difference in price, obviously, um, but one's completely custom and one's you know pretty much standard off the the shelf. So if you're shooting it all the time, all the time, like I do or like Vinny, the gun's probably the cheapest part of it because right. you know the shells are what gets expensive and the clays get expensive because you're always buying them and shooting them up and there's nothing left after you're done with a day. So
1: oh yeah, you know it's really funny because you go like go into his garage and he's got like pallets. Yeah, pallets. Of shotgun shells. And I was just like, wow, man, that's a, that's a, that's an expensive pallet right there.
0: Yeah. I just had two pallets uh, come in the other day from Remington. Uh, they're one of my sponsors and uh, they sitting in the garage, but I mean, it's, you know, a pallet of shells, a hundred flats of shells. If you've got a hundred f- dollars a case right now, that's a $10,000 for, for a pallet. So, wow. I mean, and you can go through a pallet in a year pretty easily. So, so
1: how, how many days a week do you get out and shoot?
0: You know, not as much anymore uh, now that I'm, you know focusing on my financial planning practice, it's probably three days a week, you know, two or three days a week that I'm getting out. But in that time, a lot of it is shooting with clients or charity shoots. As you mentioned, I got the phone ringing all the time with guys that want to go out and win and and bring a ringer and and shoot. So, you know, we go out and we shoot and we have a great time. But uh, when I was starting, it was five days a week. So when I was, you know, because I wasn't the guy with the natural talent, I was the guy that sucked. So my thing was, I just really loved it. I fell in love with the sport and I took that love and said, okay, I'm going to get better at this. And so I started working on it and, and, and developing a training routine and a practice routine and and staying consistent. And then I just consistently got better. It took time and effort and work, but as long as I was sticking with it, it, it just kept accelerating and and moving me forward.
1: So what are some of those things that you do to train to get better. I mean, it's yeah for the audience that doesn't know much about shooting. It's not just go out there and you see something flying, you pull a trigger and hey, if you're lucky, you're lucky. If you're not, you're not right. I mean, there's, yeah, there's, there's some skill that you have to learn and practice and consistency and that rigidness that you have to get baked into you to get your system down. Right. A hundred
0: percent. So I, I think the most important thing that I can tell people is the gun has to fit them. So I'm, you know, I have my financial planning practice over here and then I also am a professional you know, shooting instructor. So when I meet someone that wants to come out and shoot with me, I check their gun fit. I wanna see, is that gun aligning with their eye and their people? And then I'm checking dominancy of their eye. A lot of times a new shooter hasn't ever checked their dominancy. They don't know which eye is more dominant than the other. And if you have a right-eyed shooter that shooting on the left side of their body or vice versa, it's going to be almost impossible for them to hit clays. So figuring out, you know, where your dominancy is is step one. And then from there, uh, the gun, the gun fits. I would say practicing gun mounts is probably the, the easiest thing you can do. And it's, it's free. You can do it at home. I used to have a mirror that I put in my garage and I'd mount my gun, you know, a hundred times a night and just look and make sure that I was lined up with it every night before bed. And that would develop muscles in my body that most people don't have cuz it takes re- different muscle uh, groups in your body to hold up a shotgun and hold it steady you know even guys that work out at the gym they generally don't have those those muscles tuned in their body
1: so when you talk about eye dominancy, yeah. to, for the audience who doesn't know much about that yeah. break that down for us
0: so all that means is is your brain says one eye is more powerful than the other so if I'm looking like I'm right eye dominant, so my right eye is much stronger than my left eye. If I was doing anything on my left side or if I mounted a gun on the left side, it would look like there's two barrels or it would look all cattywampus when I'm looking down the barrel. Um, And it would give feedback to my brain that the gun is not where it actually is. So a good way to test this is if you just point at a wall and you, you close one eye, if your finger doesn't move, then you're on the right eye. If your finger moves, then your, 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 your dominancy is the other eye. So, um, Then you got
1: the cross-eyed dominant folks. Yeah,
0: there is some cross-eyed dominant folks. I haven't dealt with that yet. Knock on wood, but it it can come at any point in your life. And, uh, when you're dealing with that, usually you have to, to patch it or figure out a way to soften the strength of that eye. I know some people that are wear prescription on the right eye and then not on the left eye because they don't want that left eye to to get stronger and take over.
1: Mm. That is interesting. That's very interesting. So did you study finance in college or?
0: Yeah, my degree was in marketing for uh, my undergrad and then I did an MBA. So I just always took a liking to finance and my dad is a business owner he owns Master Rich Painting in San Jose California and so I was grown in a household of entrepreneurs where it was like hey you you know you work for yourself and you build it and and my dad went through a pretty rough time in 2008 because of you know the economic recession that hit and he didn't have anyone that was helping him with his finance at the time so you know it was really tough on the family and that was something that I I really resonated with. And I said, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that are really good people that love their family, that care about their future, that just aren't working with anybody, maybe because they're not, you know, worth a hundred million dollars. My dad did well, you know, but he wasn't your, your run of the mill, big time millionaire. So he didn't have Merrill Lynch, you know, knocking on his door every day wanting to talk to him. Yeah. So what, what drew you into financial planning? You know, it was shooting. Uh, I, 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 thought to myself, I want to be able to travel and I want to be able to shoot more competitively and I want to be able to do a business where I can help the people that I like the most. And it's natural for me. And I was just kind of looking into the different sectors and financial planning was one of them where you could, you know, you build your own book of business. You can meet with the people that you want to meet. You work with the people you want to work with. And then happenstance, uh, a friend of mine who was uh, doing an internship at Northwestern Mutual, who was a shotgun shooter and on the team with me, said, hey, Zach, um, I'd love for you to meet this guy, Doug Barry. And uh, he hooked me up with an interview at Northwestern that was so six and a half years ago, went on the interview and loved what they had to say and, and just started, you know, feet feet running on the ground from there moving forward. So yeah, that Corey Spruill was his name and he, you know, without that introduction, I might not be doing this today, but I, I knew in my mind that I wanted to help people and I wanted to be able to travel and, you know, and still be in that shooting community. So that was my focal point.
1: So what goes into becoming a financial planner?
0: yeah, one, you have to have some accreditation like you do you, your testings. So you know you're 663 seven and you're going through and that just requires a lot of bookwork and it's it's kind of boring to be honest with you. But then on the front end, it's it's networking. I mean more than anything, you know, most of the advisors in this country are having to build their books organically. They're not calling through a list of, of people and names. They're saying, Hey, do, do people in the community resound with me? Do they, do they have a likeness? Or do we get along and can I help them and provide feedback? And then slowly building your clientele, which is my favorite part of the business because you get to choose who you work with. You don't have to work with a bunch of people that, you know, you don't necessarily have a lot of commonalities with if you don't want to.
1: So when, you got in and you probably, this is what I see a lot with financial planners is it becomes very intriguing for a lot of people to start. But now after six years, if you were to look to your left and look to your right with the amount of people
0: that started when you started, how many of those are still there? Man, that's uh, that's crazy to think about it. In my office, I think since I started, I could remember probably 50 or 60 people that have came and went. So it's, it's crazy the amount of people that actually make it, but I think the people that make it have a very very similar commonality and so they they have they have grit and they don't give up. So, you know, if you're if you're going to make it in that business, you have to be committed to the process and you also Don't give up on yourself when you have a bad day. And I think –
1: What do you mean by being committed to the process? What process are you talking
0: about? Yeah. So, um, you know, for me, I have uh, a daily list of things that I do every day where it's – maybe it's reach out to, you know, five prospective clients or, you know, ask for referrals in my review meetings with my clients. But I I have a set – regimen of what I'm doing. And every day when I go into meetings, I'm thinking about that before I even go into the meeting. I'm already planning myself and thinking of how I can position this and how I can make this work and get the most value for my clients and also get the most value for the practice. Um, So I think just preparing for that is going to help you be more successful. Most people just kind of go in and wing it. And that's where you have, um, you have issues.
1: So you said something that's really interesting is myself being in uh, sales is how often people in sales don't ask their current clients people that they already have this mutual trust yeah. of referrals so how many referrals would you say you've gotten off of just current clients that you're like hey do you know anybody else looking for the same services
0: um hundreds if not thousands i mean it's 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 crazy and i think people overlook that because you've they say the average amount of time it takes to bring a client on is 20 hours so you spend you know, 20 hours with this person developing this relationship and really getting to know them, their likes, their dislikes, who they who they hang around with, what they do, and then at that point, if you're not going to ask them for referrals, I mean, it just seems kind of silly to me. Like you should you you've already spent the time with that person. That person knows you and they like you. Obviously, they're going to work with you. So so if they love you, then you know, of course, they want to help you and they want more people to have the service that you have provided them because. They see the value if they're working with you, so uh, I think a lot of people miss that and they don't they don't pick up on it and that's a big big piece of gold that you should pick up
1: so getting to know you 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 certainly have this natural ability to build connections with people, and I'm calling it a natural ability is it for you was it a natural trait, or was that a
0: learned trait for you um I would say it's a little bit of both. I, I think, you know, I, I'm, i my wife calls me the Labrador. I always get excited when I see people and I always <laughs> want to talk to people. So that's, I think, from being homeschooled. I wasn't around a lot of people when I was young. So when I got into the real world, I was like, oh, I need to meet people because I was kind of secluded. Um, you know, it was just me and my sister doing that homeschooling process. And it worked really well for us because of the travel and all the shooting that I had to do. But uh, but when I got out in the world, I'm like, I need to make some friends because I didn't, I didn't have a whole lot of them when I was younger. So that's the natural part. But the process and the work part is just, I think, becoming a better listener to develop relationships with people. Everyone wants to talk Anyway, we're on a podcast and I'm doing all the talking today, but I By guess, the way, it's designed that way. <laughs> yeah. But- If
1: this was everybody wanted to hear me talk, this thing would only have five episodes.
0: I, <laughs> so. I don't know about that, but I think people inherently want to talk. And if you just listen to them, they're going to feel a better connection and they're going to feel a little bit more relatable to you. That's what I found.
1: So you bring up something very interesting about listening, right? Is that is it's a skill set in itself one that has no one that anybody that knows me knows this won't be a great shock is not always my best asset right so i have to try at it and, and a lot of the reason is i just i have such this high sense of urgency right so being a better listener what are what are some of the things you do to because there's listening and then there's active listening
0: right of course of course i think when you're listening you're just waiting for the time when they're done talking so that you can say what you got to say right active listening for me is i'm trying to get to know about that person and i genuinely care and i think it's just the genuinely caring and being interested that creates that active listening. I think eye contact is really important. If you don't have that with whoever you're listening to, you know, they're not going to feel that it's is genuine and you're not trying to fake the genuineness. You're trying to be really genuine. So um, th- that's what I would say.
1: So it's interesting you bring up, you know, eye contact. So we kind of had this thing 18 months ago that kicked off called a global pandemic. <laughs> yeah, 100 percent. Which outside of Zoom... There is no face-to-face contact, and even Zoom, then, are they just staring at the camera, or are they doing like you and I are sitting three feet from each other, looking at each other,
0: right? I think that's one of the hardest dynamics that we've been adjusting to uh, over the last you know, 18 months, as you said. I really do feel that there's a better connection when you're in the room with a person and you can really you know, hear the tone of their voice and, and, and listen to them. But Zoom has bridged the gap and it has helped with efficiency. I'm able to do more meetings now with Zoom than I've ever done before. Uh, I think the meetings are a little bit shorter. Because you have that attention span issue at a certain amount of time, people lose interest. Uh, and I try to set the environment up for success, get the you know the webcam set up properly, make sure my background's appropriate so that they're not seeing a lot of glare and a lot of issues. And I think that keeps them glued to the screen a little bit better. One thing that's helped my practice a lot is using like the whiteboard or the share my screen and actually showing them visuals along with talking. I think that can really keep an audience engaged uh, much more. So...
1: Would you say that with the call it hybrid environment now that utilizing something like Zoom has it increased your business to a certain level that you didn't have before? Where you you you, you, you have to leave like there's always trade offs, right? Yeah, blessing yeah. and curses is what I like to call it. 100%. The blessing is you get more business. The curse is you might not have as much of a
0: connection with. Have you found some of that or? Yeah, I, I think I've been much more efficient with the people that I already had existing relationships with. So if they already knew me and we already had a re- existing relationship, it, it's been gold because now I can have more meetings with them. We can get more done in the meetings. I think we have to go a little bit slower, excuse me, and be a little bit dive, dive deeper into the education side. If we're going to, you know, meet someone for the first time via Zoom, Uh, But that comes back to the referral, right? Where did I get referred that person? Is it someone that I met through networking or is it someone that was referred from a client of mine that loves what we do? If it's a client that loves what we do, it doesn't take that long to bridge that gap, even if it's not in person.
1: So when you're setting up a Zoom, what is like your cap of time where you're like, we absolutely positively can't go beyond this many minutes or else we know that we're just law diminishing returns.
0: I think first meeting 30 minutes if we're doing a presentation where we're going into, you know, somebody's balance sheet and a lot of intricate charts and tables. I'll do no more than an hour on that, but but you know, that 30 minute window seems to be the the gold spot for me.
1: That's where it is with us too because the pandemic allowed us to evolve our model where We can be more efficient, but what it helped us do is, unlike a real estate team that's normally out there where you just get hoard out to whoever's available, they get the entire team with my team, right? So Lynn, Michelle, James, Laura, and myself, we all know how to do each other's job, but we each provide a specific expertise in what we do. So when somebody gets us, they're getting five, not one. But it's very hard to coordinate, even prior to the pandemic, with busy lives and everything else, to put five people in the same room with the same schedule and then coordinate a buyer or a seller, especially if it's a couple where it's hard enough for them to coordinate time just to meet with one of us, let alone coordinate schedules to meet with five of us. So it helped bridge that efficiency gap where we could go, you could see who's who in the zoo here. Yeah. You know who's who, who does what. Everybody talks about their roles and responsibilities. So that way it gives them better clarity on, okay, so when I'm dealing with Lynn, this is why I'm dealing with Lynn. And when I'm dealing with Michelle, this is why I'm dealing with Michelle and Laura and so forth, right? Of course. So that did help us do that. But there is a a certain amount of relationship with people that are referred to, it's not people that never used us before, that you miss out on that. Plus there's the old sentiment of, well, you know, this is the way it's always been done. Like, I can't tell you how many people are like, Hey, great. I want you to sell my house. Will you come over and take a look at it? I'm like, well, let me tell you about our process first, because you know, I'm essentially, you could call me the face of the team, but as people get into it, they're like, I really don't want you doing any of this stuff. I'm like, no, you really don't. Yeah. You know, you really want Lynn handling your paperwork. You don't want me. You really want Michelle coming in to tell you what you need to do with your house because she has an eye for details that I don't. You really want James showing you and helping negotiate because I'll admit it on this show. He actually is a better negotiator than me. (laughs) I'll put my pride to the side for a second. And James, when you're listening to this, because I know you listen to all these, don't think this means I'm going to be nice to you. And then and then Laura, who runs all of our compliance, making sure the I's are dotted, T's are crossed, train stays on track, stays on time. That is kind of the running joke is when we get to the Zoom is by the end of it, they're like, well, what do you do? And I was like, well, pretty much I just get everybody here so that way you can see you really want everybody else. You don't want me because it's not that I wasn't great at what I did do it's that when you really want to be truly successful find people that are better than you and bring them all together and then that's an effective team where the client gets to be the recipient of true greatness so do you want good or do you want great because if you just want good all you need is me but if you want great you want the team Uh, of course
0: of course I, i think i think if you focus on doing what's right for the client every time you'll put those metrics in your in your business because like for me, I'm not good at paperwork either. I, I love people. I love getting out there and 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 shooting sporting clays with my clients and and having high level conversations, but um, you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's isn't my area of expertise. And I, I find that's true with a lot of entrepreneurs. So, you know, to you give your clients the most value, the more you can have back office staff, I think the better. And the best thing I ever did for for my business was was hire my assistant Claudia and she's been you know incredible to work with and it was something that I was resistant to at the beginning but once I did it I was like wow this is amazing it freed up a whole bunch of my time and I would tell people in their business if you say you know what's the one thing I would do differently I'd have probably did that sooner
1: yeah and I mean even and I and I I just started another company two months ago with an old Marine Corps buddy he retired four years ago. I had a void that needed to be filled with this predecessor just stepping out with no notice. And I said, hey, let's build this thing. And I said, but you, you know how to operate in autonomy, and I trust you. Once we get you up to speed, I no longer have to worry. So I've got him doing that for all the maintenance part. I've got Ricky, also a Marine, handles all the outside stuff. I've got James handling the leases, right? I've got, I've got all these different components of people that really are better – at doing all these other things than I am, which allows me to stay focused on what I really am good at, which is da- analyzing data and looking at acquisitions of what's going to be able to yield our investors the most money. And so, like, even, uh, so, you, you know, you coming on near the, the last recording for this series today, and I'll be heading back to Colorado, right? And, and I kept trying to explain to like Cass, I was like, you need me in Colorado. You really don't need me here because when I'm in Colorado and I don't have the distractions, we focus on making more acquisitions. For example, when I was in Colorado last, that yielded us 16 acquisitions that we closed on September 28th. Since being back after the first week in September to now we're in the middle of October, I've only had one acquisition.
0: Been busy podcasting.
1: Yeah. Luckily, I got a team here that you met, the production team. All I do is I spend two or three days, record all in bulk. They do everything else. But no, it's because I was pulled in so many different directions that I lost the element of time that I need to exercise what I am really good at, which is doing, analyzing these assets and doing acquisitions. And that's what I was explaining to them is like, when I'm in Colorado, 16 acquisitions, in a period of being in Colorado for six weeks. When I'm here for six weeks, we make one. So where do you want me at? And they're like, we want you back in Colorado. Oh, and I was yeah. like, cool. Now you get it because I, I can be up there and I can look, I can do this from my laptop. I don't have people pulling at me and I can go, okay, this is what I'm here to do. Yeah. I can analyze it because when it comes to, when, when, when I have, in the beginning, some of my investors go, well, don't you need to be out there on it? And I'm like, No, I need Kaz out there because he's the one that's going to do any of the inside work. I need Ricky out there because he's going to do any of the outside work. I need uh, um, Nick out there because he's going to handle any HVAC work. Scott out there for any pest control. So forth, so forth, so forth. And I was like, so me being out there is only if I'm in town and I'm bored and I'm never bored, right? It it is like it, it makes no logistical sense for me to be out there. Plus, I trust these folks that they're going to tell me what time it is on what I need to know that will go into a calculation of the acquisition, so I can do that more effectively when I am not distracted because I am ADD like a squirrel on methamphetamines. So it doesn't take a lot to distract me. Is that's why they make and and that's a prime proof in numbers. Colorado six weeks, sixteen acquisitions. Texas six weeks, one acquisition. So, and and then I was like, because, you know, and as I tell them, your job is to make me more profitable. My job is to take that profit and give the investors great returns. And as the investors get great returns, they give me more money to go buy more properties where therefore everybody that's due in their wheelhouse makes more money on more jobs, right? And so that's how we've built this system, which has allowed us to be highly, highly effective And I can do it from Zoom. I can meet with my entire team on Zoom. But like you kind of alluded to, is we've already got established relationships. It's not like anybody on the team is new where we have to establish that relationship. So I do think in this new post-pandemic world that we live in, there is a difference between Zoom with a
0: previous relationship and a Zoom with a new relationship, right? I think that's 100% correct. And what I've found is, is even now where I'm from, St. Charles County, the restrictions aren't as heavy as far as like meeting in person. And some people will mm-hmm. meet in person. I don't mind it. But I think with the existing relationships, they're almost preferring the Zoom now. And then we're spending the FaceTime doing something that we both enjoy doing, like going and shooting sporting clays together. Yeah. So, so we're enhancing that relationship, spending that time. You know, FaceTime together doing something we love. And then when we're getting down into business, hey Zach, shoot me an email, shoot me a link. Let's do it 30 minutes in between, you know, lunch or in between a meeting or something. And and that works out really well for everyone.
1: Well, and and, and the thing is is that that is really important because when you're when you're out there and you are now getting FaceTime with your clients, that you don't have to fill that time with, hey, by the way, we need to discuss this in business. Yeah. Although does that happen? Sure. But now you're able to spend that quality time going back to learning. The, the client, right? Their needs, wants, desires, or an acronym that I use called Ford, right? Is not, I don't drive a Ford. I won't drive a Ford because I'm a GMC guy, not GM, GMC. And is family, organization slash work, recreation, and desires. And the only way to really learn more about that from folks is by spending time with them to go. Like, as one of the reasons why I love doing this show not just with folks like yourself where I get to learn about you, but I've got folks that come on this show that I've known for a very long time that I learned things that I'm like, man, how did I not know that? So my buddy Nick, the buddy he met that was leaving, you know, Phil yeah, Marine. Yeah. Good guy. I didn't know that I, I mean I had dropped out of high school. I had no idea that he had dropped out of high school. Like how did we, how did we miss that in conversation, right? <laughs> you know, and it was like so it's little things like that that we go, wow, we had that in common and didn't know because well, one, because I've got time in here to get to learn the person, right? And and and, and, and 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 the thing I do like about this show is because listening is not my greatest asset is I force myself to listen in here and ask good questions from being an active listener, not just making statements, although I do that as well, uh, is I'm able to go, oh, wow, I had no idea about this. Or uh, a mortgage lender that we've known for years, done business with Laura for over 20 years, and she went to A&M and majored in chicken science. Like, what? God, I'm like, I, I thought that. you were like a beauty queen before you got into mortgage. You were a chicken science girl? Like, what? And then, you know, so you learn these things that, yeah. that make it's what makes people interesting,
0: right? It is. It is. It's the little things and the little details that you learn about a person that makes everything. And that's where you either can get really close with someone or you could figure out, you know what? Maybe this isn't my ideal person that I want to spend all the time with because you got to spend a lot of time with your clients in whatever it is you're doing.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's the thing is, is people to me are interesting in nature. Like I'm a very, I don't even know if I use it the right way. It's very apolitical, which is really just a short term for, I don't care if you're Republican, Democrat, independent, libertarian. I I, I don't care. None of that matters to me, right? I I just – I don't really – I have better things to do with my time than to worry about who's voting on what and who does because it's not in my control anyways. 100%. Right? And the one thing I learned a long time ago is money does not discriminate, but the people who spend it do. So why pigeonhole myself (laughs) into an area where they're like, well, I don't want to do business with you because – you're really passionate about believing in X, Y, Z, you know, the main thing that I get that people get out of me is like, Hey, if it's military related, that's where it is. Right. Because I'm a vet and being a vet, very important to me, especially being a Marine where that's where I'm going to get hot topic on. But as far as whoever's president or whatever else, I don't really care.
0: Uh, yeah, of course. And, and you know, thank you very much for your service. And Thanks for being worth it. Yeah, it's a, it, you know, try to be a good person on a daily basis to earn <laughs> that. But, but it's, it's, it's great what, you know, the men and women of this country are willing to do to protect us and protect our freedoms and keep things great and move it forward. So.
1: Yeah. And, it, and it's, and it, and it, and it's really interesting to watch the times and trends of things where, you know, I, I, I do believe we're living in a time where a lot of people just tie yellow ribbons around their trees. That's as far as it goes, you know. And, you know, does that mean I wouldn't be willing to still go put my life on the line? No. Always will. Always have. Always will be. Right? But, you know, it just seems like we we live in a social media world where people forget, right? 100%. And so – I, I, you know, I, I got pretty pretty decent following on Twitter and pretty active on Twitter. It's the only social media that I, I, I do that myself because I have a social media guy that handles all my other stuff. People are like, that's a great post. I'm like, what the hell did he post? You know? I didn't you know. post that one. Most <laughs> of the time it's not me. And you can tell when it's me because it's not as sharp. <laughs> right? And I try not to get engaged with arguments of people because really a lot of times social media is just a way to be a one directional conversation. Yeah. But I did let one get under my skin, and it and it doesn't happen often. Is uh, Rob O'Neill, guy that killed Osama bin Laden, right? I mean, come on, <laughs> you 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 killed the worst bad guy on the planet, right? Yeah, you you earn you earn that title, right? And by the way, you can only be one person that killed the worst guy on the planet.
0: Yeah, that's, right. It's uh, only one of those.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like the biggest trophy on the wall, right? He was on there and. So he had matter of fact, I'll bring it up o- only because I find it to be interesting and pertinent for this conversation and, and why it did uh, annoy me right and, uh, and so <laughs> you'll, I, I, just getting to know you, I think you'll'll you'll, you'll, you'll get kind of a, a a kick out of this, right? I love getting kicked. Uh, so anyhow, Rob posts, "I never went on paternal leave. I had wars to fight and this guy that's wearing a anti-trump af shirt which if you don't know what af means out there it means as fuck uh you know this guy named hans gets on there and goes that was your choice sir do you have anything else to share regarding your effectiveness as a parent and normally i won't engage in this but i went on there and said well maybe hans doesn't know that his kids are safer because of us that served and sacrificed that missed all the ball games etc you're welcome hans right and it's and, and like hey Look, you you, you don't have to agree with someone's politics. You don't have to agree with somebody's opinions. But I do believe that in this country, the reason you're not speaking Mandarin right now or Russian or even German or any other things from any major wars that we've either fought or could fight is because of a few men and women. And by a few, I mean a few. For the audience, less than 6% of the population of the United States, over 350 million people, have ever taken the oath to serve this country, of which only 1% are on active duty or the reserves. So do the math on that. Out of 350 million people, only 1% are standing the wall for you. And actually out of that, because there's all kinds of different jobs, how many of those are in a combat type element, which is even significantly smaller, right? And I'm like, so when we made the choice, and yeah, no one held a gun to our head. This is a volunteer military, right? No one held a gun to our head. But we went out there to do it. Even when you got a guy like Hans, that's a dumbass to sit there and go, "What else could you offer?" And blah 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 blah. Like, hey man, I made a choice to skip out on a lot of things on life, so that way you could have an opinion, even if I don't align with that opinion. And uh, and I'll tell you another, I'll tell you another funny story. And I, I don't even know if I've said this on the show, and if I had, my, I know my daughter's rolling her eyes. But when we went to drop off my daughter at Colorado State University and. We're doing orientation and all this. And a lot of times I'll just say, if if I know somebody's passionate about something, I'll see how much I can annoy them. And and so anyhow, we're sitting here and I'll save you the long dissertation, but this lady, I kind of made a few funny comments because I thought they were funny as we're sitting in this very long dissertation of, you know, how we're so bad to the rest of the human race and everything else and blah, 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 blah. And I'm just kind of sitting here chuckling like, oh my God, like... Wow, uh, and, and and it came out that they were talking about pronouns, right? Now I had no idea, but I I I looked at Maggie and then they got to, she's got this pronoun card and I was like, are you an English major? And I didn't know about it. And she's kind of laughing because she and Laura know what's going on. They know what time it is, right? Dear old dad I hadn't figured this one out yeah. yet, right? And they're just kind of laughing. She's like, no. And I was like, man, they take English here real serious. I was like, hell yeah. And then. The first person gets on stage and I don't know, her name is Lisa. And she's like, hey, my name is Lisa. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I was like, man, they take this English stuff really serious. And then this guy, whatever his name is, Bob, gets on there. My name's Bob. My pronouns are he, him, and his. And then a very flamboyant young man gets on there and says, hi, my name is Thomas and my pronouns are Z, Zim, and Ziz. And then I was like, Z, Zim, and... Ah!" <laughs> The light bulb went off, uh, right? Like the light bulb went off, right? And and I was like, okay, I was like, all right, all right, all right. And so anyhow, this lady sitting next to me is just not entertained by me at all, right? Which I could care less. And so at the end of it, she goes, you know, you should learn to be a little bit more respectful. And I said, oh, well, you're welcome. She goes, I didn't say thank you. I was like, I heard thank you. She goes, how could you hear what I just said as thank you? And I said, oh, I said let me help you out. So I said, you, you see, I'm a United States Marine Corps veteran, which means me and a bunch of friends put our lives on the line. A lot of them lost their lives. A lot of them are mortally wounded for the rest of their life. All so that way you would have the ability to that first amendment to say whatever you want, even if it doesn't agree with somebody else. So you're welcome. She, you could see the cheese sliding off the cracker. And my daughter's like, oh (laughs) Oh, shit, here we go. Yeah, the levels are red. Because now this lady's mad and I know, I know the game ain't over yet. She's going to let me know what time it is, right? And then she just, she's stuttering. She's so flustered. And, and she goes, you, you must be one of those Trump supporters. And, and I looked at her and I said, oh, I said, well, you're, you're welcome. And she's like, why would you stop saying that? She was like, stop saying that. Why would you say that? And I was like, oh, I said, you must be similar to me. See, I lost my hearing in the Marines. So I don't hear things all the time. So let me help you. I said, see I'm a United States Marine Corps veteran and me and a bunch of friends. We decided to make a lot of sacrifices. so That way you could have the ability to vote for whoever you wanted. And sometimes your person wins and sometimes your person doesn't. So you're welcome. And she's really living. And I was like, but from where this conversation is going... I'm surprised you didn't vote for Trump, right? And, and so, dude, I'm talking nuclear meltdown. Magma. Right. Level. I mean epic levels. She can't even formulate her words. And she's like, why, why would you even say something like that to me? And I said, Well, apparently he's doing such a good job that we have time to focus on fucking pronouns. (laughs) She was like – and then she just walked off. And, of course, Maggie was like, who would you vote for? And I was like, ah, it doesn't matter. (laughs) She was like, did you even vote for Trump? And I was like, none matter. I was like, I don't even tell your mom who I vote for. Why? Because that's my business. Yeah, 100%. If I don't want to share who I voted with, then why – you know, if I don't share it with my wife or anybody else, why am I going to share it with a stranger but – Did I do a good job of annoying her? Yeah. And I took some personal enjoyment. As my wife says, I'm a 50-year-old child and very immature of me. And I was like, oh, no, no, I'm fully aware of what my behaviors were there. But it, it was my own little way of reminding people of like, you don't realize that you live in the greatest country of this whole planet. And that if you want to be an entrepreneur, a financial advisor, and strive to be one of the best shooters that there is, you got the only person that stopped you, Zach, or could have stopped you from doing that, is the person in the mirror. 100%. What people forget, like when they go, oh, uh, you know, our poverty levels, I'm like, "Uh, hey, man, you look, our poor are considered rich compared to a lot of other countries. 100%. Go visit it, right? And so when I see things like that and I see successful entrepreneurs like yourself, And I see people that are passionate about, you know, chasing something like, you know, like you're shooting. Right. I'm like, to me, that's a testament that regardless of who you voted for, regardless of who you will vote for, regardless of what you think, I don't really care. What I care about is, hey, you got to be successful because of brave men and women. And that is pretty damn cool.
0: It, right? it's, it's amazing. And, you know, what a lot of people forget sometimes is that the freedom isn't free and somebody has to pay for that. I mean, everybody ha- at some point has to pay the bill and you guys did it. I didn't, my, my grandfather grandfather served in the military. He was in world war two and he told me all about it. he's like, yeah, this is what we did back then. And I'm like, yeah, you know, that's, that's an awesome thing, but being able to go and do what you want to do and, and create your own success is something a lot of countries don't have.
1: Yeah. And it's, and, you know, and I, and, I, and I didn't mean to get kind of off track there. It's just that. Uh, that was on track. Right? <laughs> that was on track. I don't, there was no off track. Well, and I just sit there and I, 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 I look at, you know, in, in today's day and age with social media and everything else is. And that's why I was I was really honored that you were catch a flight here to come be on the show, because when we, we share people in common who speak very good about you, we've seen your level of success. You know, you've achieved a lot of success in what I would consider a very short time frame, right? Which and as you said, you're like, hey, I've seen 50 people come and go, and even the people that are in your office, how many of them have had the amount of success that you've had? And the biggest thing that I could circle that back up to is your ability to establish trust with people.
0: Yeah, I think I think you have to be relatable and you have to establish trust, but I also think that you have to measure against yourself like when you're when you're measuring success. Like what I didn't get caught up in was in the first year, first two years, looking at other people and saying, wow, look how much better they're doing than me. Because everybody goes at a different speed, right? So you've got to you've gotta look yourself in the mirror and say, Did I do my best today? And am I getting better than I was yesterday? And if you can do that in anything and you don't give up, you're gonna make it. You're not gonna you're not gonna fail out. But I know a lot of people that had that kind of success failure where they they got in and they you know had I'd say quick success, but as soon as it ran out, they didn't have the ability to to push through that and that's when they would quit. So I think um, it's important to to, to to have that tenacity and that drive.
1: I'm so glad that you brought that up is I think that, and I and I've talked about this on some of my episodes, is really when it comes to competition in your industry, or even in my industry, you're really not competing against other financial planners. And I'm not competing competing against other people in real estate. We're competing for our clients to be better every day, show up every day. You know, that's who, that's who the competition is. You know, am I delivering the value, right? Because if you're focused on doing right by clients, it's like you said, they're the ones that are sending you the referrals. I'll take a warm introduction of somebody who wants to be a client that is already going to have a sense of established trust over a stranger. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to say no
0: to the stranger out the street. Of course.
1: But if I had to choose only one.
0: Oh, yeah. I know which one I'm going to choose every time. And it's just because there's already a layer of trust there. And I think the more time you spend cultivating the people that you already know and saying, you know, Hey, you know, how could we be personal with this time? And how can we, you know, set up an environment where I can meet the right people? Um, one thing that's been really helpful for me this year is I've, I've asked a couple of my best clients to go out and, you know, grab somebody that I don't know and let's go shoot sporting plays together, you know? So, so it's an environment where I'm asking them to do that and being purposeful with my time and then, you know, introducing myself in a, in an environment where they enjoy what I'm doing and I enjoy what we're doing. And it just seems to work out really well.
1: And along that way, you're probably giving them some tips on how to shoot a little bit better.
0: Oh yeah. That, <laughs> that's what they're asking for most of the yeah. time, more than stock tips. So yeah. but
1: see, that's the funny thing is like really, for me, real estate's the vessel, right? I mean, this year I'll be my team would be number one in Sotheby's Here in Fort Worth, four years in a row, fantastic. Right? And yay, yay them, not me. I mean, they're they're, they're doing the work, yeah. right? But real estate was just a vessel. Is it was because we're always offering something more. Like you is you're you're starting off the relationship with them bringing somebody new is like hey. I'm gonna if you're coming to shoot, I already know you're interested enough in shooting. And you've probably already learned oh, I'm
0: pretty good
1: at shooting.
0: Sometimes, Right. They, I mean I'm no Vinny or, or Travis, so those right. guys are awesome. But,
1: but but they're coming and then when unsolicited, you're like, hey, let me if 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 you if it's okay, I could probably show you a few things that you'll be able to do something that you like to do even better.
0: So that is value. You're offering – that has nothing to do with financial planning, right? A hundred percent. And I think the key is, is to know where your heart's at. Like you go out in that situation and you really do want to bring them value and teach them and help them regardless of if they become a client or not. So you know, I, I, I hear like the commission breath. I've heard that in the industry a lot is if you are doing something only to make money or make clients, that's usually not the best way to do it. Mm-mm best way for me is to just organically do something I love. They see, I love it. I'm helping them do something they love. And then we have a bond and we have a relationship.
1: And on on top of that is, I would imagine that when they see how passionate you are about shooting, right. And how you're not, when you really truly love something,
0: it shows, you,
1: you, not only does it show, but you could make a lot of money, teaching people how to do it. But when you're doing it for free, and it's not really free, there's trade-offs and so forth, but when you're just offering that because you're so passionate about it that you want to share your passion with someone else, in my experience, when somebody sees that, they're like, if this guy is just an ounce of passionate about doing my financial planning, as he is on doing the shooting, he's already better than 99.99% of the people because... Look, we're humans. We make errors. We make mistakes. There's things that are within our control, outside of our control. But people are a lot more forgiving when they're passionate. Like when Nick, right? I mean, former force, recon,
0: marine, operator. Badass to the max.
1: Right. I mean, look, this guy, he could kill you with this paperclip, right? I mean, he's not even thinking in 30 different ways, right? He's, he's, He's defended freedom. And... When you think about HVAC work, not the sexiest thing that you would have thought. I mean, when you've been one of the most talented people on the planet, right, and you go, I want to go do this. You're like, man, that, that doesn't – I mean, probably probably back then you were like, hey, I'm going to go learn to be a great operator. And then I'm going to go work in the heat of Texas and replace H-, You know, HVAC, yeah. right? But it's not – the HVAC is just – the vessel, right? And it yeah. was really cool having him in here because it went back to uh, that he he's passionate about it for a number of reasons. One, that's who he is. He got it from his dad. He he loves the, the 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 learning of the mechanical parts of things. And he's excited to show people that they're getting above and beyond quality of what they're getting and just seeing the passion come off of him, You're like, I I trust I trust this guy. He's passionate about doing a he's good job. It, yeah. So that passion conveys, right, where when they see that passion, and I don't know if you'd agree with me, but I don't think you can fake passion.
0: You can, and I 100% agree with you. And, and, you know, even in this podcast, I can see you're passionate about learning about other people. I mean, this is the first time we've met in person, and I can tell you're really genuinely interested in learning more, and, 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 and that's a great thing. You can't fake that.
1: No, and, and it's just – and I really do think that this world would be better off. You know, regardless of people's political affiliations and opinions and everything else, if we spent more time being curious about each other and learning more about each other, then we would get past barriers and actually realize, hey, we can disagree on 99% of everything else. Yeah. But it's okay to disagree. I think people forget. It's okay. Freedom of choice. Yeah. It's okay to disagree. We can disagree about 99% of whatever the big topics are. But one of the things that we quickly learn is ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the little things we actually have in common. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And when we start making connections, right, is you should go, "Wow, that's 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 really impressive," right? Or you know, yeah, like I knew I knew you were a competitive shooter, and then, but I don't know enough about the industry. You would think that. One of my very close friends who's gotten several gold medals in doing yeah. this that I would yeah. know more, but I, I just, you know, I, I just I just haven't taken the time.
0: Yeah, I'm busy.
1: Really annoy me it would really annoying when I'd be like, "Hey, man, I learn more about the sport from Zach being on the show." <laughs> he's probably he'd probably choked me out. Uh, uh, but but to sit nice. there and understand that when you when you when you went to St. Louis, right, uh, to be on the team, yeah. right, it's like, oh wow. And as a matter of fact, when you were when you were saying that, this is how much. It, I was like, man, we have a connection. Is so I play, I played baseball in high school growing up. Would you like to know why I did not go to play in college? Would love to know because I wasn't any good at it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Lack of I had talent. no oh.
1: talent whatsoever. Right? We, we I, call that loft. Right? Like this is just it was not written in the stars, you know. And it didn't help that I ended up dropping out of high school. So it was like you know, so it was just not written in the stars. But I've always had this winning mindset that if I'm gonna do something, I wanna be a best at whatever that's gonna be. Yeah. And at time, Wichita, Kansas had the best college baseball team there was in the nation. Right. Fantastic. So when you were when you were talking about, you know, going, you know, to St. Louis to go school, I was sitting there and immediately remembered, and we're talking, I mean, this is this is back like, oh man, like thirty golly, more than thirty years ago, thirty-three years ago. And and I'm sitting here thinking in my brain is like, man, I remember how Wichita had the best baseball team and I was like, I wanted to go play baseball for them. Now was that going to happen? Only by a fluke. Only if I naturally got better at baseball overnight because I was struck in the head with lightning and it wired something in my head that allowed me to go do it or whatever else, right? But it's not it's not in the stars, but I recognize when something is the best right? Yeah. And so when you said that, I was like, man, out of all the conversations we've had, that didn't come up till the podcast, yeah. which is the humbleness that you carry of, hey, we're here to peel back the layers of the onion to understand what your journey was and everything else. But then to go, wow, I wonder how many people knew that about you that might be listening to the show that, that know you and be like, I had no idea. Like we knew it was a good school, but what did you
0: say? It was like 15 seasons before they lost yeah 15 they they did 15 consecutive national championships naia so you know and it was a humbling experience to be on the team and to see like we've had olympians on there we've had lots of champions from all over the country and to be able to learn from those guys you know they say um you know iron sharpens iron man sharpens man and and that's what that was i mean it was everyone at a top level and because we were on a team we were helping each other get better and in shooting, it's a very individual sport because it's just you versus the target. So for me, before I got to college, it was always me versus the target and then going out and winning against other people. But on that team, it changed the dynamic because if I hit more targets, they wanted me to hit more targets because we'd win. If if you know, if Mitch hit more targets, we all won together. So I wanted to help him. It wasn't about, hey, I might have a bad day. I need him to step up and cover for me because we're doing this as a 100 person team versus as an individual sport. So that was a huge dynamic shift for me, um, you know, going from before college to after college.
1: Man, that's great. Matter of fact, while I'm thinking about it, only because I have been wanting to get Travis in here, I'm going to do a little selfie right here. And I'm going to send this to Travis as we're sitting here recording this. He'll like that. Oh, yeah. He'll get it. He'll get, he'll, 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 he'll get a kick out of that. So, so let me ask you this. I mean, cause we've talked a lot about you and what makes you you um, is let's talk about financial planning is if somebody was going to need a financial planner, what are three things that you would tell somebody that doesn't know anything about it of like, these are three things you need to know or ask when you're interviewing people or so forth?
0: I think the number one thing that you should ask is 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 this advisor a fiduciary? Um, you know, it just means you have to act in the best interest of the client at all times. Um, you know, that's probably the number one thing that you should you should ask. I think number 2, I would ask what their references are. You know, do you know, how do they come, you know, referred? Is it someone that they already know or they already work with? And then 3, I would just without even asking, i would just see if they're genuinely interested in listening to you. Like if if they're coming in and they're saying, "Hey, this is what i do and this is how i do it" and you know, kind of laying it out, that might not be the best fit for for you as a client. I think the question should be from the advisor, you know, "What do you want to talk about today? What can i help you with? And what's on your mind?" And if they come at it from a listening approach and asking questions approach, you probably already know you're in the room with someone that's that's decent.
1: So how many how many people do you think potentially experience bad financial planners where they're almost turned off from it and do you ever get any of those clients that they were like wow it, you helped me change my mind about financial planning y-
0: yeah um i think i think i hear more when you give them a good experience they say how much better it was than they you know were kind of used to I have heard a couple times like, Yeah, man, I had a bad taste in my mouth and I just kinda want to do this all myself. But more than not, it's, you know, wow, I, I I'm excited and, and relieved to have this conversation now and move forward and to, you know, to 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 grow towards my dreams and my goals. I think with people it's hard to get your goals. Out in your own mind like like everyone has the stuff in their mind that they want but talking with an advisor allows them to actually put it to paper and and put a plan in action I think that's what's most helpful
1: so what would you say is your key differentiator between you and other people in your industry
0: you know for me it, it, I think it's really that whole outdoor aspect I mean from a personal level I want to get to know my clients and I want them to like me and and enjoy what it is that we share a common bond in to build trust so you know that's like everybody in my office when they say hey zach i got this guy that loves to hunt he owns a construction company or hey zach i got this guy that loves to shoot trap or sporting clays he's you know doing this or that they think of me specifically for that reason now i know that i'm not the smartest guy in the room and i don't know everything there is to know about financial planning but i do know that i can go into my Rolodex and call up other advisors that I work with and team with that specialize in specific things and bring them in, in team situations whenever it's appropriate. now I can handle a whole lot, but I think there's an importance to knowing that you can't do it all. So you can be the person that facilitates the relationship and then bring in the right tool for the job if it requires it.
1: So if I hear you right and understand this and is your key differentiator, In the financial planning world is being able to connect with the client through a shared interest to understand truly what it is that they want because you've been an active listener and instead of telling them what they need, you're listening to understand what they need and guide the conversation so that way you can deliver ultimately what it is that they want.
0: Yeah, I would say that's probably... Uh, the best sum- uh, assumption of what I do, yes.
1: Man, that's great. That's great. So we end every one of these with 20-year-old self. Now, I know that I would have a list. Of the, I'd probably get to the end of the internet before I'd finish my list of what I would tell 20-year-old self. But if I knew 20-year-old self was going to receive – a visitor from the future, present day self, that's going to be present for five minutes to go either do or don't do this. And I knew that twenty year old self that actually listened to that. What
0: would you tell twenty year old self? I would tell myself um, the one thing that I value most, that's brought me the biggest clients and the best the best things in life, was actually reading from other successful people, right? Um, you know, books like Think and Grow Rich or The Law of Attraction or, you know, the Richest Man in Babylon. I hated reading as a kid and didn't do it. And if I could go back and start reading, you know, ten, fifteen, twenty pages of of good material in whatever you're interested in at an early age, I think the compounding effect of that knowledge is unmeasurable.
1: Wow. Yeah, and I you know, the interesting thing is I'm over a year into doing this. I've recorded well, well, well over six, I'm probably about 70 episodes total recordings now. And I don't think I've ever gotten the same answer twice, which is pretty it's cool. Because I know is the more episodes I do, eventually I'm going to be running where there'll be someone. But it's also what adds to the candor of the show, because people are given candid answers instead of just saying cliche answers. Which is,
0: makes this show really cool.
1: So people want to learn more about you. Yeah. How do they find you? How do they get in touch with you? What's this, that that we can put out there for them?
0: Yeah. So um, uh, for my financial planning, it's uh, Zachary.Nanini at nm.com. And for uh, the shooting clinics, it's just ZachNanini.com. You can just Google ZachNanini and you'll see I'll come up in the first two searches for financial planning and for shooting. Uh, there's not a lot of Nanini's out there in the world, that Italian name. But um, but if uh, people would like, you can shoot me an email also at zachary.nanini at nm.com. And, you know, just we can have a phone call, Zoom meeting, or we can go out and shoot. I'm pretty flexible. Uh, I, you know, just came out to, to Fort Worth today from St. Louis. So I'll go places. I'm not scared to travel.
1: That's great. And in case you're driving down the street and you didn't have a chance to write that down, you can always go to our website, my experienced, realtor.com that's experienced with an ed click on podcast scroll down to zach click on read more we'll have all the links all the emails everything else to be able to get in touch with them if you're looking for some financial planning or you're looking for some shooting or just want to get to know a great human being and then as always you can click the homepage, click on find a trusted professional and we'll help you get connected with any anywhere on the planet with somebody that can help you navigate your real estate buying and selling. Zach, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure.